Now, when leaders get it wrong, they can take a whole lot of people down with them. Uh, in recent months, we've heard of the British politicians who've been making all these illegal expenses claims, getting allowances for things they're not meant to. Uh, they've purchased a duck island, uh, a cleaning moat. They've even been grabbing money for mortgages that have already been paid off. And it's a scandal, and it's actually got the possibility of some of these uh, MPs being sent to jail. People are furious, and no one trusts the government anymore. And you'd have to think, I reckon, that there's no way that this government will be able to win the next election because their leaders have been exposed as deceptive and greedy. And so how can you trust the party? The bit of the Bible that we've just had read clangs like a loud gong, sounding out that this should never happen in a church. Our leaders are to be squeaky clean because they have an important role to play. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, you'll recall that 1 Timothy, the letter, is all about church holding up the truth. In chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says he wrote the letter so that church would know how to conduct itself as a pillar of the truth. It's the imagery of holding the truth up, making it look good by what we say and what we do. And the rest of the letter, summarised by the three trustworthy sayings, fleshes out how we do that. Two weeks ago, it was about holding up the truth to the world. This week, Paul begins to go through various groups of people. He starts listing them off and how they're to conduct themselves for a church to be a pillar of the truth. So he starts with men and women and what they're to do. And then he moves on to church leaders and what they're to be like for a church to be effective in holding the truth up. And the beauty of this section is that it helps us to see how precious church is. God has given us remarkable significance, incredible privilege. To God, the church is extremely valuable. And we are to walk out of here this morning with that same attitude of really valuing God's people and wanting to play our part in being a pillar of the truth. Now, as I said before, there's three trustworthy sayings in 1 Timothy, and they summarise the three ways that a church is to hold the truth up. So this morning, as we're looking at the second of those ways, a good place to start is the second trustworthy saying. So make sure you can see chapter 3 and verse 1. And what we'll see is that the second way a church is to be a pillar of the truth has to do with having the right leaders. So chapter 3 and verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, an overseer is simply a church leader who watches over a church family. And in the Ephesian church where Timothy was, the topic of church leadership was a live one. The issue was whether both men and women could do it. So before the Apostle Paul deals with church leaders and what they're to be like, at the end of chapter 2, Paul deals with men and women and who can be leaders of the church. So point 1A, and the first group of people that Paul addresses in how they're to conduct themselves to hold up the truth is the men. So chapter 2 and verse 8. And if you're a man, or if you're becoming a man, or you're raising boys who will become men, or you're on the lookout for a man, you need to listen up. Here it is, men. What we need to do to take our place in this pillar of the truth. Chapter 2, verse 8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer 
without anger or disputing. Do you get it, guys? We're to pray, not fight. Not lift our hands in anger or disputing. Not taking things into our own hands and solving things the macho way. Because if the men of early church are a bunch of brawlers, well, that's not going to hold the truth up, is it? That'll drag the gospel through the mud. No, no, no. If you're a man or becoming a man, Paul says, then be a man and pray. You know those sayings, uh, real men don't eat quiche, uh, real men don't cry, or I'm not man enough to wear pink. Uh, That may be true, men, but are you man enough to pray? Because according to God, real men pray. So get down on your knees and fight like a man. If you're a teenage boy flexing your muscles as you enter manhood, now is the time to learn to pray. If you don't know how, ask a man to show you, your dad, your mob leader, a trusted friend. And if you're already a man, make sure you're a real man and pray. Don't give up. Don't be soft. Just pray. And if you're a lady on the lookout for a man, make sure you get a real one. One that prays. So that's one way we men are to hold up the truth. What about the women? Well, that's where Paul turns to next, verse 9. And what we find is that our women are to be ladies who are modest in the way they dress. Chapter 2, verse 9. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So ladies, or girls becoming ladies, how you dress matters. So you're not going to dress indecently or trying to flirt or dress to impress. You're not going to try and outdo the other girls in the way that you dress. Don't spend all your time on trying to be glamorous on the outside As the Apostle Paul says, if you profess to worship God, then dress like you do. Because if people know you as a Christian and you dress like a glamour lady or a girl on the prowl, well, that's not going to hold the truth up at all, is it? That'll make the gospel look cheap. Instead, you ought to be trying to be glamorous on the inside, dressing yourselves with good deeds, as Paul says, spending more time working on your character than you do on your wardrobe or your makeup. Because there's quite a bit you can tell about a person from what they wear. The girl who wears skimpy shorts and low-hanging tops, well, she's probably trying to impress the guys. The lady who adorns herself in expensive clothes and exorbitant jewellery, well, she's probably trying to impress the people around her. The woman who dresses modestly and is known for her inner beauty, Oh, well, she's, trying to pro- she's probably trying to impress God. So ladies, girls, you're a part of early church, a pillar of the truth. And you can take your part in this by how you dress and by your good deeds. Now, after dealing with men and women in general, Paul now wants to turn his attention to uh, the leaders of the church, the overseers and the deacons, and what they're to be like in order for a church to hold up the truth. But before Paul does, he first has to clear up who can be a leader in the church, and it's just the men. Verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Paul's pretty clear here. Uh, Men are to be the leaders in a church. And he takes us back to Genesis for the reason. Uh, Adam was created first. Eve was created to be his helper. And at the fall, Eve was the one deceived, not Adam. In other words, God created us as male and female, and the men are to lead the women. So in a church, in a community of people saved by God to live his way, well, the men are to lead the women. Now, this might have opened up a can of worms for you. And if that's so, I'm more than happy to chat with you over morning tea or at some other time. But for now, I just want to press on into chapter 3 because the reason Paul spoke about women learning from men was so that he could get his teeth into the business of overseers and deacons, the church leaders. So these men who are the overseers and deacons, they're the next group of people that Paul lines up to teach them what they're to be like for a church to hold up the truth. And what we discover is that the leaders of a church are to be really godly. I'm going to read from chapter 3 and verse 1 right through to verse 10 so that we get the sense of the godliness required of these men. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. It's a pretty impressive list, isn't it? These men are to be above reproach. No one can bring an accusation against them. They've got a good reputation with outsiders. They hold the deep truths of the faith. They're able to teach. They're self-controlled. They're disciplined. If you're an overseer or a deacon, an elder in our church, this is what you ought to be like. Here's your mirror. Hold it up and you should see yourself squeaky clean. How you live matters enormously to having the position of a leader in the church. But why? Why is it important that a church have squeaky clean leaders? Well, we're not told precisely in these verses, but there are various hints in the passage. And it's all to do with them holding up the truth in their own lives and helping others to do the same. So point two on your outline, and the first reason why we need godly leaders is because they teach. Have a look at verse two. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. It's a similar sort of thing down for the deacon in verse 9. Look at that one, verse 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. You see, they've got to keep hold of the truth because they've got to teach it. And this is an important part of a church holding up the truth It's leaders teaching the truth. 
holding up to people Christ's death for sinners, declaring Christ risen from the dead as the Lord of all, and so we all need to fall into line with Jesus. And if our leaders teach this truth but live drunken, godless, greedy lives, well, then who will listen to them when they teach? That's not going to hold up the truth at all. It'll just bring shame on them and the gospel. It's one reason why we need to have squeaky clean leaders. Because when you do have godly leaders who know the truth and live the truth and teach the truth, well, it's like having a great conductor uh, steering an orchestra. It's a great joy to learn of godly men who faithfully live and teach the scriptures. That's certainly been my experience. Now, I have to admit to being a bit uncomfortable preaching on this stuff uh, because I am one of the leaders of DPC. So as we've been looking at 1 Timothy 3 and as I've been looking at it during the past few weeks, it's been a helpful reminder for me as to what I'm meant to be like. But at the same time, I'm one of these men and I don't want to sound as if I'm blowing my own trumpet, so I'm finding this all a little bit awkward. But in terms of what we're looking at in this passage and this passage that we're up to, one of the roles that you've given me and Bryson and Paul and Wayne is that we are to teach you. So as you come to church Sunday by Sunday, we hope and anticipate that you come to learn, that you want to learn, and that you pay careful attention to what we say. Now, I'm not saying that you should follow us blindly. We're not a cult. But as you measure what we say against the Bible, if what we say stacks up, that you'll believe it and you'll put it into practice. From verse 2, part of our role is to teach. That assumes there's people learning. Second reason our uh, leaders are to be squeaky clean is because it's their job to care for us, to shepherd us in the faith. So have a look at verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? You see, our church leaders are to take care of us by making sure that we know the truth and that we live by the truth to help us hold up the truth in our lives. But how can our leaders do that if they're not doing it themselves? It'd be like going to TAFE to learn art, but your teacher can't paint or getting driving lessons from someone who can't drive or getting cooking lessons from me. (laughs) Uh, We need our leaders to be squeaky clean because how can they care for us in the truth if they don't know it and live it themselves. And lastly, our church leaders are to be squeaky clean because they model the Christian life to the church. Almost everything that Paul writes here about overseers and deacons has to do with their character, the type of person that they are. There's very little on what they actually do. And since Paul wrote this entire letter so that a church would know how to conduct itself as a pillar of the truth, it seems likely that Paul had in mind that the church leaders would model the Christian life to a church. And so what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4 seems pretty applicable to church leaders. So have a look there, please. Chapter 4 and verse 15. Verse 15 of chapter 4. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Church leaders are to watch what they teach and how they live very closely 
because we're modelling what to believe and how to live. And if we get it right, then those who model themselves in us, well, they'll get it right as well. We'll save both ourselves and our hearers because church leaders model the Christian life to a church. So inasmuch as your church leaders are being faithful to the word of God, imitate them. Take note of how they live, what priorities they have, what they believe, and model yourself on them. Now again, don't follow us blindly. We've all got, I've got faults, we've got faults, we'll get things wrong. But our church leaders have been carefully selected because they model what to believe and how to live with Christ as Lord. So model yourself on them. Now, in all this talk of uh, why we need squeaky clean church leaders, can you see something of the nobility of it all? Do you remember in verse 1 where Paul says, anyone who sets his heart on being an overseer desires a noble task? The nobility, the goodness, the significance of being a church leader, as we've seen, is because they live the truth and they teach the truth. God's truth. That's what makes it a noble task. And here at DPC, we have lots of people living and teaching the truth. And so we should recognise the nobility of what they do. Our Sunday school teachers, they're not just childminders, they have a noble task of living and teaching the truth. Our Bible study group leaders, our mob leaders, our clag leaders, our scripture teachers, they all live the truth and teach the truth. So they are all involved in noble tasks, significant valuable, worthy, dignified tasks. And we should value and encourage and support and pray for them all. And look, if someone recognises your godliness and suggests that you serve in teaching and modelling the truth in some way, make sure you feel the weight of that suggestion. Take the time to recognise the lofty, noble thing being asked of you and respond with due seriousness thought and prayer. Don't just brush it aside for whatever reason. It's too important for a quick dismissal. Maybe you should give up other things so that you can do this more noble task. And likewise, don't just say yes straight away. It's a noble task. It's important. It's significant. Not something you want to rush into. If you're going to do it, you want to be able to do it well. Our church needs godly, upright people who know the truth, live the truth, and teach the truth. Church is too precious to think differently. Have a look at verse 14 of chapter 3. Verse 14 of chapter 3. After all this instruction on men and women and church leaders, Paul points to the importance of it all, and it's that we're God's people carrying out his tasks. Verse 14, chapter 3, and look at what value God gives us. Verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and foundation of the truth. Early church, we're God's household, a church of the living God, God's people. And he's made, uh, made his home with us gathered us together to live with him. And he invests us with significance and privilege. He elevates us as ones who would hold up his truth. God's made us a pillar of his truth. 
Have you ever been part of something significant and important? Uh, Called in by someone of real stature and been asked to be part of them? I tried to think of some examples to help us feel the weight of what's being said here, like uh, being asked by the federal government to be the Australia's ambassador to France. But there's probably things about the government in Australia that embarrass us, and so being the ambassador to France would be awkward at times. Or maybe being asked to accompany royalty for a week to help them promote the royal family, but not all of us appreciate the royal family. It's hard to come up with anything, really, that comes remotely close to what we have in these verses. The living God has gathered us together at the price of his son to have him live with us. And he calls on us to hold up his truth. How am I meant to put into words the preciousness and the significance of being part of a church? So this morning, walk out of here ready to take your part in church, in this church, to hold up God's truth. And from what we've looked at this morning, that means men, pray. Women, dress modestly, clothe yourselves with good deeds. Church leaders, be above reproach. Church family, be godly. Because church is precious. God is with us. His truth we hold up. His name we praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us your people. That at the price of your son, who died and rose again for sinners, that we might belong to you. And that you've given us the privilege of holding up your word. And so we pray you would help us to do that in our lives, in our words. Please be with our church leaders and protect them. May they all be above reproach. Please guard our our Sunday school teachers and our clag leaders and our mob leaders and our Bible study group leaders and our scripture teachers. Father, give them everything they need to know your truth, to live your truth and to teach your truth because we want your truth to be held up in honour by us, your people, for the glory of your name. Amen.